0: Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog They're Wonderful lads, to do a great job there And worth reading about that man there so we the man the rest the numbers Time's ended up almost looking like a 6-3 one Some very good writing about that on the Managing Madrid website great podcast as well Of course, Fede Valverde was a huge part of the equation
1: hello and welcome to a saturday edition of the managing madrid podcast where unfortunately madridistas all around the world are having a miserable saturday because ream just put an absolute uh brutal performance against a very 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 good vr outside at La cerámica, and the good news is that it was an early kickoff, which means we get to finish work early. The bad news is that Real Madrid lost. Uh, good news again. Ewan McTeer is back on the podcast. Ewan, welcome to two thousand twenty three on the Man and Madrid Podcast Network. How you doing?
0: Yeah, good. You say welcome to two thousand twenty three like uh, I arrived late or whatever. <laughs> like I've been <laughs> it's spending these time. past seven days just. <laughs> um, yeah, no, happy to be back on and. Uh, yeah, early kickoff. Um, yeah, sure, not the result we Madrid wanted, but actually quite an interesting game that we've we've got to discuss. So um, uh, it was an interesting one. It was a good one.
1: If you're a La Liga fan or if you're, or a if you're neutral,
0: fan, this was yeah. this was a good game. Yeah,
1: neutral or via Real fan, I think you enjoyed the game. Mm. If you're a Real Madrid fan, or you probably fan. not enjoyed very much. <laughs> or yeah, I, I suppose yeah, Barça neutral enemy of Madrid. Anything that is not Real Madrid, you enjoyed the game. Um, Do you want to start from the top, from the very beginning? Broke out, you know, I kind of stayed away from news this morning because I was out sledding with my kids. It's snowing here. And uh, I kind of came home and I just checked some quick things, checked the starting lineup. Also, I checked that Real Madrid drew Villarreal in the Copa del Rey band of 16. So this is far from the finish Real Madrid-Villarreal matchup this season. Uh, But we can start with the starting lineup. We knew that Carvajal wasn't going to be in the game. We thought Vasquez was going to take his place. Militao did, or Rudiger, however you want to frame it. Basically, Militao, Rudiger, Alba, Mendy, backline. First time in Real Madrid's history, a Spaniard did not feature. It's one of those stats that like, you just kind of don't believe it. Yeah,
0: 4,436 games. Real Madrid have played, including today. And yeah, first time the starting lineup had no Spaniards in it. Um, I guess going back, it's you know, Real Madrid have always been like, you know, half the squad is Spanish and half the squad isn't, at least in the last few decades. Uh, so there's always somebody there. You think of some of the players who were just undroppable, Ramos, Casillas, it's normal that this never happened. But this was probably going to happen at some point because the current squad, the only Spaniard that is a sure starter is Carvajal, and his backup is Lucas Vasquez. Apart from that, every other Spanish player, you've got Ceballos, Asensio, there's seven in total in the squad. They're not regular, regular starters. So this was going to happen at some point. Um, and it happened today. The reason was that um, Lucas Vasquez played the whole game in midweek in the Copa del 8. Ancelotti said he was a bit tired, so they went with Militao. He even mentioned in the press conference that um, part of the reason was he was impressed with Militao at right-back with Brazil in the World Cup. So fair enough, kind of makes sense um but from the very first minute it just Rüdiger kind of started more towards the right than Militao I don't know if that was by design because really Rüdiger's first five minutes were just incredibly bad like I don't know what was going on there but in the first five minutes Rüdiger had like five uncharacteristic mistakes um improved as the game went on a little bit but not uh not drastically but just Really strange mistakes in the first few minutes. And I think that set the tone. Villarreal, I think smelled blood, went for it, played a really good first half. Actually, I think Villarreal's first half was better than their second half. Um, and they went from it for the very beginning. And you could tell from minute one, this was going to be a difficult one for Real Madrid if you didn't already know that before kickoff.
1: Yeah, just going back to the statistic about Spanish players not starting mm. or starting, uh, I I su- like I'm not surprised that. We didn't have a spaniard starting today i'm more surprised that like it's never happened before just somewhere like i understand like we always had a casillas mm-hmm. or a ramos or a raul or or whoever Chavi Alonso at one point like there are carvajal there's been like so many undisputed spanish starters in our team but i'm surprised like there wasn't like a random game where it's like suspension or injury that that's never happened before it blew my mind and i'm not even sure i knew that i'm literally writing a book about Real Madrid's history and I don't. If I knew that stat, I forgot about it. Maybe, but that's never happened before. is is incredible to me. Like, really. how how
0: significant do you think it is? Like, I think this is like quite a significant. Like, this was already happening. Real Madrid, in terms of their recruitment, has become so much more global. It's becoming such a global club. It's happening everywhere as well. You know, so many of these, uh, you know, top clubs, Premier League clubs, Bayern Munich, they're becoming less and less uh, based on the country that they're they're based in um this was always going to happen it'll happen in other big clubs as well these kind of things for the first time but how significant do you think it is because i think this is like quite a big deal that the biggest sporting institution in spain basically and one of the biggest institutions in spain in general um doesn't have a spanish player on the field for the starting lineup has an italian coach um you know The fan base has grown so much. Most of the listeners we have here, we have a few Spaniards, of course, but most of us um, are not in Spain. But for the Spanish Real Madrid fan, which is millions of them, I think today is quite an interesting turning point, maybe.
1: I suppose it's subjective and it really depends on how much you care and how much you don't care about Mm -hmm. players being Spanish and, and more just care about having good players from anywhere in the world. You know, it's fun, like... There used to be rules in place that would, it wouldn't guarantee it, but it would, it would pretty much would guarantee that this would be impossible. Like in the Yaya era, for example, part of the reason why there were so many Rammed youth products was because there was a rule at that time that said you basically couldn't have any foreigners, you know? So by natural, the natural evolution of that is you basically got to promote your entire youth squad and have a bunch of Spanish players to, because the rule forces your hand to do so these rules don't really exist now. I mean, there's quotas in the squad that you have to have X amount of Spanish players sure. in the squad. That's for sure. Um, but it doesn't say anything about your starters have to be Spanish or anything like that. And I suppose it's just a, how much you care about it may, might depend on where you're from you. And uh, I, I, I probably, yeah. I would assume Lucas would care about it more than me, for example, Yeah. or Eduardo, you know, I suppose it depends on, on mm. what your viewpoint is. Yeah. What do you think about it? Interesting
0: start to the game. I mean, I think I I don't really pay too much attention to it, but I do think here in Spain there was quite a reaction to it, quite a um, sort of shock to it. Not shock at the fact it's happened because it was coming. Most games, there's only one Spaniard. Um, But I think here it is going to be a talking point over the next week. Um, You know, uh, you see how angry Real Madrid, Spanish Real Madrid fans get when Luis Enrique didn't call up any Spanish players now they haven't even got up any Spanish players. And I think that just shows you how much they love to have uh, Spanish players in the Spain squad, in the Real Madrid team. You know, there's always been a sort of extra bit of love given to the Spanish players. Remember the campaign for Isco to start when, you know, he was, you know, could have started, could have not, but there was a special love for Isco because he was Spanish. And um, I think just now there's, uh, if, it, if there's not another Spanish player comes through, a regular starter in the near future, I think... Um, I think the fans that go week in week out to the Bernabeu, the Spanish fans, I think they do care about that. Um, so it's a talking point that's from before today and for after today. But today, I guess, is the uh, the day when this start finally finally ended, which was was quite interesting. And yeah, for sure, the most interesting talking point of the starting lineup. But um, as we also said, that to to the Militao, Rudiger, Alaba, Monday backline, which uh, never mind what country they were from, this was just an interesting backline in the football terms uh, as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's really, really incredible when you get a player who's not only Spanish, but, like, goes through the entire Castilla system and then retires as a Real Madrid player. Like, there are rare players yeah. like this, like, not necessarily even retire, but just, like, like Manolo Sanchez, mm-hmm. for example, who grew up in the youth team and then played for the club for 20 years. Then you get players, like, even who are not as good as the Sanchez style, but the Gutis, who... We're part of the youth system, and they should, I think there's a really special connection with the club, uh, with players like that. At the same time, the greatest players in Real Madrid history actually are not, you know, Spanish, you know. Yeah. Probably the top three to five, most of the top ten are not, um, although there are, are going to yeah. be some of them in there. But I, to, I guess it's not a prerequisite to be Spanish to become a Real Madrid legend, so I just personally didn't care about it that much. I care more about how good you are and how much you love the club. And I don't think being Spanish is necessarily a prerequisite for that. So, uh, but but again, I, I obviously do not fault someone for feeling that they want more Spanish players. That's, that's a subjective thing, I think. Um, well, uh, we were talking about the backline and Rudiger and, and Militao. Yeah, the 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 start was weird because about five minutes or so, Militao just takes the right-back slot permanently, and I saw people people mention, like, no, Rudiger was starting at right-back, or center-back the whole time, like, if you pay attention to the starting kickoff, no, that's not what was happening the announcers announced it uh, as Rudiger starting at right-back and then he's literally standing at the right-back position on the field, makes a couple mistakes, and then after a few minutes, they switch it, and I don't know what was going on there, but whatever your interpretation of it was Militao obviously played right-back for most of this game, and there was just confusion in that half space between Rudiger and Militao all game. Moreno and Jeremy Pino were carving that space up. Great passing, great movement. They nearly scored. Like they got just got into so many great goal scoring positions in the box in the first half. And uh, it's really hard to pinpoint like what we what what is like the main concern for Real Madrid in this game because to me it was a bit of everything. It was that. The back line looked confused. We were poor under pressure. We were poor tracking runners. Our press was really bad. So I think part of the reason why the defense even looked shambolic was that we were just laughing at our press and just passing around us and exploiting the space. There wasn't much space with Vinicius and Benzema to work with. Juan Foyth was unbelievable. Yeah. Again, he's done this against Vinicius before. And I think Vinicius got to his spots some, at some points in this game, but it's hard to for anyone to defend Vinicius better than what Foyt did today. That's kind of like on the table of like the Kyle Walker, Araujo, Reese, James mold of players Vinicius has Vinicius has struggled against. So that was tough. Um, and to add all that, I, I tried to emphasize this point as much as I could. I, I thought Villarreal were brilliant, like really, really good. Like they thoroughly deserve to win this. So it's just hard to know like what the main problem was. It would, but there was a lot of problems today for, for Real Madrid.
0: Yeah, there's some Real Madrid losses where Real Madrid lost the game. And then there's some where the other team won the game. And then there's some of a mix of both. This is a mix of both, but I would maybe lean even more towards Villarreal won the game. They were just so good. Every they had their full starting lineup, basically, which they haven't had all season. one five being one of the examples he missed basically the entire pre world cup part of the season he's back he's in good form um he's walking like a world cup winner he looks really confident knew what he was doing against finishes from from minute 1 so uh, real starting to click a little bit under kiki setien after a slow start so they are going to be a tough team for anybody to play especially at home um you know that's they've got that stadium back they were playing um if anyone doesn't know they were redoing their stadium up so the before the World Cup, they were playing at Levante Stadium down the road in Valencia. They've now had two games back there. They beat Valencia two one and a local derby. They beat Real Madrid now two one. Um, the stadium looks nice, um, really good atmosphere. Um, they've got the tube man back. You know these the kind of wavy like um, tube man you get outside like a car dealership. Like they've got one of them behind the goals, which was going crazy after the <laughs> after the first goal. Villarreal is going to be a difficult place to go for anybody um, just now. So keep that in mind. This isn't like Real Madrid losing away to some, you know, relegation fodder. This is a tough game. But still, there was a lot that went badly for Real Madrid. And you kind of touched on it a little bit, the confusion in the back line. And I think it was confusion all over the pitch because I went through this and looked at how many players played in multiple positions in this game. We talk, we spoke about Militao and Rudiger changing. Um, Militao then went to centre-back when Lucas Vasquez came on. So you've got those two. You also had Alaba at centre-back, then at left-back when... Um, when Monday went off for of Rodrigo, you had Fede Valverde started at right forward, was then moved to right midfield, then got taken off. And you had Tony Cruz um, starting at right midfield, and then he gets moved to the pivot when Chiomeni goes off. So that's five players who, throughout the game, played in different positions. And all those players are versatile players. They all can do multiple positions. But to ask players to move around in a game is asking a lot of them and the teammates who are alongside them not quite sure where they're going to find each other. And I think you you need to be careful about moving too many players at the same time. Five players to switch position from minute one to minute 90 in a game is a lot. Um, you could even add Courtois as a sixth player if you really want to be tongue-in-cheek because he was thrown up for the corner at the end. But uh, five serious players who played multiple positions in this game. And I think that's the root of the confusion you mentioned.
1: I think fluidity can help in certain situations offensively, but it's really dangerous defensively. No one knows where anyone is. And uh, that that's what happens sometimes when everyone is just kind of doing different things. It, it's good and unpredictable in some senses, in certain circumstances, if you're good at it and you know how to position yourself defensively after you lose the ball. But it's not like... I, this is... It's crazy because, you know, I remember when Ancelotti first arrived at Real Madrid. Remember the first string of games... There was that really, really aggressive. The first time or the first. No, time or, just th- this, this time he's come back. Like, right, yeah. Like okay. last year, or what is it? Last year. Yeah. This is the second season.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So the when he first arrived last season, remember he did that really aggressive press the first like couple months or so, and then ah, yeah. he mm-hmm. he stopped. And it's just the press never improved since that. Since then, it just hasn't improved. The press was so bad today. Um, there was just even you want at least one player just didn't know where he was supposed to be defensively. And there was just so much space in behind and that coupled with some of the fluidity of, uh, of, of players being interchangeable. It, it makes it worse, especially in this situation, especially on a team that's in good form. As you said, he said, at Villarreal they've, they've improved with each passing game and, and they're, they look great today. I mean, everyone looked really good. Uh, I mean, I, I think kind of a natural place to go from here is that as I know that Vinicius versus Foyth is a is a matchup that we highlighted before this game. Jose and I were talking about it. Almost every preview we do is Vinicius versus X fullback This one we highlighted too because Foyth is is a really good defender. And I thought Villarreal also just... Defended really well in conjunction to fourth being good individually one-on-one. This theme of a lot being on Vinicius' shoulder, I think, remains today. Because he he's expected to do so much. Benzema's still not in form. Uh, although he did have a couple really, really nice one-touch passes today in the box. Fede's been quiet since uh, in, the, in the two games after the World Cup. So you're not getting much offensive contributions from the right side to help stretch it out a bit and create some space. And so Vinicius has been just a lot on his shoulders. There were some sequences in this game. You and he gets past one man and there's like three, four players converging on him and he has no one to pass it to. And fourth was just really good on top of that. It's just a lot. It's just a lot on his shoulders. And I think you need more production and I don't don't know how you solve it, but you need more from Fede. I think you needed more from Fede in this game and the last game. So, One
0: of the ways that it seemed like they were trying to solve it at the end was when Rodrigo came on, he spent a lot of the time on the left, not on the right. When he was substituted on um, and Fede moved back from right forward to right midfield, the assumption was that Rodrigo just slots into right forward. But he was there a little bit, but really he was mostly down, standing with finishes, the two of them, on the left side. One of them would have the ball, the other one would be alongside and it was like a sort of double plunge that they were trying to do down the left, leaving the right side completely vacant. Um, so you're you're kind of, we've outlined the two solutions. One is to make the right side better and not put as much on Vinicius, or the other is to just give up on the right side completely and try to add another uh, winger on the left, like they did with Rodrigo. And that was when Foy struggled the most, I think, those last 10, 15 minutes. That was when Villarreal really resorted to foul and Vinicius, which for the first hour, you know, there was a few, of course, they're strong. Everyone's going to be physical with Vinicius. That's the easiest way to stop him. But they weren't fouling him so much. But the last 10, 15 minutes, he won, uh, you know, maybe three, four or five dangerous fouls round about the area. Um, that was partly because uh, Rodrigo was alongside him and Foyf wasn't always the one on Vinicius. That was an interesting way that they tried to solve it. I'm sure this has happened before, but I don't really remember seeing it quite so blatantly that you have Vinicius and Rodrigo standing like pretty much in the same position on the pitch. I don't know if this is a solution going forward, but that was one that that you kind know, of stuck out as interesting to me as a way they tried to solve it, and it didn't work ultimately.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it. I think he, I think he benefits from that um, because Mendy doesn't do much offensively, mm-hmm. so he does never had really a fullback to kind of link up with in the in the final third. The Rodrigo overloading the left side with Vinicius has happened quite a few times this season. I think it's more prominent this season than it was last season. Last season, it was much more symmetrical. Um, But this season, I think it's been a little bit more prominent. And it has been a quote-unquote offered solution, at least. And in in some cases, an actual solution where it really works. Today, Villarreal were too good. There was just no space to work with. Even like the frantic... When Real Madrid were trying to equalize towards the end, and they had more ball in, in Villarreal's half, I never really felt like we were going to penetrate. There was just you, tr- they, Kamavinka and Cruz, and these guys. They would try to link up with Vinicius and Benzema, some really nice one-touch passing, even uh, in some sequences. But just it's you can't do that the entire way up the field and into the box the way Villarreal were defending. They took away the space brilliantly. I thought the funny thing is, Ewan, is that. Despite, in my opinion, I think, and is the wide consensus that Villarreal were the better team, Ram just still did create enough to mm-hmm. to score a couple goals. Yep. Benzema had that great chance in the first half. Let me just see if you actually pull up the chart here, what they were. Uh, Rodrigo, 77th minute, the left-footed shot. Um, that's the one where it looks like he's scoring, but he kind of just cuts it across the face of goal instead of, putting it in the net uh yeah Which I the- think was
0: a difficult one Reina makes himself so big there that you know you, you always hear the commentator say oh he has to get that on target I mean you can put it on target and go right at the goalkeeper sometimes you, uh, to avoid the goalkeeper you're trying to find the corner and I think he tried uh, to get it over Reina, who made himself big but yeah that was one of um yeah that was one of the better chances for sure but there was a few like you're like you're outlining
1: there was the Militao one where he finds himself like point blank mm. in front of Pepe Reina. And mm. I guess the last person you want in that goal scoring position is probably <laughs> him on makeshift right back. Um, I don't know yeah. why, but the Benzema chance in the first half. Remember that one? Uh, mm-hmm. It doesn't even show up on the XG chart. Was it called back for something? Foul or mm. off?
0: Might have been offside. Yeah. Um, I think it was called back of offside, but I don't think it was offside. It would have stood, but I guess... As that's well, right. Yeah, the, that's
1: right. That's what it was, stats. I think. Yeah. The replay uh, showed that it was onside. Yeah, yeah, no, he was quite... Oh, he but then was onside, there was another one right, too. It it. There was two. One of them, mm-hmm. yeah, is the one you mentioned, but there was another one where he has it point blank and it's blocked. That, neither of those two show up on the XG chart for some reason. I don't know. Um, mm. So the, I guess the point is they did enough to at least squeak a draw. Yeah, I mean... Because that's I'm just they speaking about the... chances
0: yeah speaking about the xg like i have it here it's 2.94 to real 2.02 to real madrid but 0.6 0.60 of real is that danjuma chance at the end after Courtois uh, left his goal for the for the the corner that he goes up for so i mean uh take that off and it is quite an even game overall in terms of the 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 quality of the chances so um you know real madrid could easily easily have taken a draw from this one but also you know Real Madrid, obviously. Uh never going to a game looking for looking for a draw. So um there were still problems to to address even if um they could have nicked a draw in this one, which would have been the the theme they lo- I mean, Villarreal, is we mentioned that they're a tough team to go to. Historically, they've always been a tough team for Real Madrid. The last five visits, they've drawn all of them. Um, so
1: you know, haven't won there now in, in six years. Is it just me because I didn't watch it? You did because you covered it for Managing Madrid. And Lucas was actually there in the press conference room, so he would have insight mm-hmm. too, but he's not here till Monday on the podcast. Was Ancelotti's press conference shorter than usual?
0: Uh, longer than the Casareño one, um, which was about two minutes. Longer than the Valladolid one, which was about two minutes. Um, no, this one was a little bit longer than than usual. Okay. But, I mean, for away think... games, they're always they're always so short. They're away game press conferences... Are you know like three four minutes? Everybody in the bus get to the airport and get back. So yeah, um, no, I wouldn't say it was any shorter than than the usual away game.
1: Yeah, I I just only saw like three quotes in the in the post game yeah. presser. So that's what why I asked. Um, but did you, did anything stand out to you from what he said or no?
0: Um, I already mentioned the the reason for picking Militao over Lucas Vasquez was because Lucas Vasquez was tired. Which um, yeah. That was our, our friend, uh, Niels Kern asked that one, which I'm glad he did because uh, that was one of the, the questions I had. Um, literally had it to write on the the free questions, free answers piece. So thanks to Niels for getting Angelotti to, to speak about that one. Uh, apart from that, I mean, he was just quite honest. You know, he said that the defence wasn't good enough. He listed a few of the reasons why. Uh, Viral could play through the lines, they weren't compact in they low block. And he said that, they deserve to win and then he was asked a little bit about the handball penalties because of course this is spanish football and a game of two penalties involving real madrid there's going to be some talk about the penalties i think this is the least controversial real madrid game of two penalties that i've ever seen because um you know they're they're both penalties by the book and they're both penalties that you know 10 years ago didn't exist so angelotti kind of um said that exactly that they're both penalties but fans don't want to see those kind of penalties which i think is true <laughs> he then made a comment about he didn't want to say that um it's not football after he got destroyed for saying that comment the other night after criticizing casareño's pitch and um, so he's obviously been aware of the the backlash to that um and that was it time to go off to the airport <laughs> uh
1: i well i just i we can bring forward the penalty discussion a little bit later but i did want to talk about the wing backs. And, you know, I'm, I'm fine with the justification of starting Militao at right back in this game. I actually thought he looked pretty good yeah. for Brazil in that position. The problem is, I think it works for Brazil in part because they have devastating wingers and a lot of th- interchanging parts in the final third that do damage. And you don't necessarily need attacking fullbacks. Um, I'm not saying it, it would hurt to have them, but in Brazil, I think it was massed a little bit more. With Real Madrid, with both Mendy and we're just like, I guess the, my point is, we're one we, I'm getting to is that we don't have much production from fullbacks in this Real Madrid team. Carvajal is not what he used to be. He's injured a lot, provides really good defensive cameos like he did in, in the Liverpool Champions League final and, and, and some other games leading up to that final. He was really good. Uh, but you're just, you just, uh, for a club that's, in the past generations, going from Camacho, Roberto Carlos, Marcelo, Carvajal, Salgado, you just—I think—you need a little bit more from those positions, and you're just not getting it. I, I, ironically enough, and I kind of feel bad for him in this in in some capacity. But he didn't. the The first goal was his fault. Furlan Mendy, up until that, I actually thought was probably our best defender. He did. He had some really important challenges in the first half when things were a bit chaotic, but he gives the ball away. That's something that he has not, he has not fared well under pressure often, but um, he's kind of improved, I think, in his Real Madrid career in that respect, but today he gave the ball away with a really bad pass, and then it comes back full circle off him in unfortunate circumstances, goes into the net. Uh, the point is, I guess, about fullbacks. I'm I'm genuinely worried about the fullback position for Real Madrid as it is currently constructed. I just, you need to sign players. And I guess the problem is, as Matt and I discussed on a last week podcast for our patrons, the market is kind of thin. It's not an abundant position in world football. Like the right back position is not like this huge list of great right backs you can sign.
0: No, exactly. Key in on this, like, I think we've spoken about this a few times, the fullback position in the big picture long term is is Real Madrid's weakness because exactly that reason. There's not that many of them and the ones that there are are already at bigger clubs who are not selling them to Real Madrid. Um, You know, as there was reports recently about Alfonso Davies going to Real Madrid. I'll see that when I believe it. I mean, if you have one of these fullbacks, you don't let them go. There there can be talk about, ah, they'll let their contract run out. These big clubs are going to offer for these fullbacks whatever they need because... Football nowadays is so much about that position. You need an attacking fullback. The best clubs all have it. The best clubs all have production offensively from that position. Players who are also good enough defensively. And Real Madrid, um, Barcelona too, Atletico Madrid too. That's a position where they've really struggled in in recent years to, to sweep up some of these some of these fullbacks and uh, Real Madrid have had a few interesting ones. craft they had, they let him go. Um, Fran Garcia, I don't think is is top top level, but another decent one that they able go. And I think um, this is a this is a position that Real Madrid absolutely have to address soon, probably by spending big money. Um, because Carvajal is not getting any younger. Lucas Vazquez isn't a solution. And Mondi is absolutely fine defensively, but for an attack of fullback like you're saying, games like this, um, he's he's not there, and never mind the fact that his replacement is David Alaba, who's a starting centre back. So
1: um, who doesn't want yeah, to play left back either? From no, what we what we know, and and for good reason, he's a better centre back. Who also
0: he is. isn't young, you know. Who is yeah. also the other side of thirty. So um, this you know the the talk is always Bellingham and Mbappe. All the fullback is. Uh, low key, the most important position for the next uh, couple of transfer
1: windows. Just a note on Davies. Uh, uh, you can call this the Canadian connection of sorts, but <laughs> I know his, I know his camp personally. Like we're good friends, and I can just tell you that that guy is so loyal to Bayern because they're the club that gave him a chance from Vancouver, like all the way to yeah. to top flight football right away and believed him in the young and he's really loyal to them and and why would he leave and why would they want to sell him like it's a, it's a it's a really good match and i, I don't i don't see that being disrupt- disrupted so every time i see a davis to Real Madrid rumor i'm just saying like, ah, as much as i love it you just kind of have to ignore it but um these names you mentioned like the fran garcias and stuff the thing is like a lot of these players are just good players like fran garcia is a really good player but that's the level we're going to be talking about, I think, right now for the immediate future, is you. In not, I'm not. I'm not necessarily saying that should have to, have to or can sign the elite wingbacks, but have those options. I would love to have Fran Garcia as an option off the bench, you know, in in a game like because he can hold his own. Like he's great, grateful. I, I I don't know if great is pushing it, but he's really, really good established La Liga fullback. Like he can who can attack. Yeah. Um, so I think you're looking at players in that mold right now, unfortunately, because the ones you had, like the Abshafs and and Teos, are are gone. Even though you had them in your hands, and and I can I can at least say that the Teo one was justifiable, and even Abshaf to some degree, because you have arguably the greatest right back in your club history. in Carbachal. A lot of
0: it was just bad timing. Like a lot of it Actually, was just bad timing. For timing matters. 100. In the in the moment, it made sense because who you had was too good, and um you know uh the player left and and that's that is it's such a specified position fullback as well that it's what if you're not a starter there's no other way for you to play you can't just play defensive midfield for a bit you can't just play as a winger instead of a striker it's along with goalkeeper like the most specialized position that if the starter is better than you you're pretty much not playing um and if there's a really good one in front of you that's at the right age. Then you don't see a future there for you, and you have to move. So um, all those situations that Real Madrid have had, have just been kind of unfortunate timing. But now looking back, it's um, it's obviously frustrating to to look at because they need someone um, now, and at least, if not now for for next season for sure. Yeah. On both and, sides.
1: and you can't send players on twenty year loans until, yeah. until the player in front of them leaves, and that's just it's hard to, hard to plan that. Um, but at the very least, they've, they've made money off these players. Um, mm-hmm. One of those stats that I know that people are going to roll their eyes and not care because Ramji lost, and pretty much everyone on the field was bad. <laughs> but Cruz's numbers were just—he attempted twelve long balls today. Do you know how many he completed? Most of them. <laughs> twelve, all twelve. Yeah, all twelve. Um, but I also thought, like, there was the, the moment in the second half where. Ancelotti makes the double sub in the 64th minute. Vasquez and Rodrigo come in from Mendy and Chiumeni. So Alaba goes to left back. Cruz goes to defensive midfield. And uh, there were just clearly issues defensively on with that change because Cruz would sometimes be up high up the pitch and Villarreal were having these transition attacks and there was no defensive midfielder to, to help stop some of that bleeding. But you know, I, I suppose you just ancelotti's is just yeah. trying to do something to change the game, you know, whatever he can. Um, you
0: know, you know what one of the one of the like small problems with that was that uh when Cruz when True Many was off the field and Cruz is supposed to be the, the holding midfielder, because he's taken all of the free kicks that Vinicius is winning down the left, every time a ball goes in, and his delivery wasn't great in this game, like from set pieces, but you know, that's fine. There were so many bodies uh in yellow there that that's normal, but he's taking all these free kicks from the left, and Villarreal are getting them away. And Cruz is not where you want your defensive midfielder to be because he's over where Vinicius was fouled, and that happened two or three times towards the end with some of the the counterattacks, either taking a corner that Vinicius probably won or taking one of the fouls. So, uh, I mean, it's not a massive problem because you know Cruz was was moved there because you're losing, you're going for the game, you take too many off to bring on someone more offensive. This isn't usually a starting solution putting Cruz. Uh, in the center, unless there's suspension or injury. But um, that was one of the problems that you could see towards the end was that he was taking all the fells and out of position as soon as he kicks the ball to deliver it.
1: Yeah, uh, and these are all part of the defensive perils that Real just suffered, the, the positioning and things being out of sorts and out of whack and chaotic. Um, I just want to say this. February 12th, Barcelona versus Villarreal at Ceramica. Mm. I'm circling that one. I want to. Mm-hmm. I want to see this. Pau Torres, Raul Albiol, masterclass against Barca. I want to see it. i I want because I've seen this be real performance go into just God mode. Setien
0: versus Xavi. Setien. I don't, I don't trust it though. Versus Xavi. That's. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like for any team, and for Real Madrid, it's it's only Barcelona that matters in this year's title race. When Barcelona have to go there, that's not easy. Um, so,
1: yeah, both seven tackles today. Albiol and Pau Torres both seven inter- uh clearances each. Albiol was really good today, mm-hmm. but yeah, does he still play like this every game? Definitely not. Yeah, no, 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 <laughs> no. He does. Um, Him
0: and Pau Torres are like maybe the best central defensive pairing in La Liga, like when they're both fit and healthy. And the thing about Albiol is his injury record is incredible. Like he is pretty much playing every game, 90 minutes. Um, You know, basically during the Conference League group stage, him and Pal Torres were rested, didn't even travel sometimes um, in the group stage and they just took the midweeks off so that they could play 100% every weekend. And that was the strength of especially Emery's uh, VRL. Like it's incredible how good Ra- Albiol is. Like, I don't think as many people watch Serie a, so his Napoli years maybe got a bit underrated, but I think he was just so good there as well. Like, one of yeah. the, the proper underrated centre-backs
1: of, like, the last 10 years. There was a point in the second half when Pedraza comes in and he just dribbles 80 million miles past our whole team up the field. And gets into the box and nearly scores something that you saw, like 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 a George Weah type of goal. And I'm like, this is this is a joke now. This is, <laughs> I Pedraza is a good player, but this is like it's like when uh, you're playing FIFA and someone dribbles past your whole team with like uh, I don't know some the goalkeeper like <laughs> yeah the goalkeeper. You're just all right, can't. like what well, this is this is not real. Um, but that's just the game was and, and by the time essential's last second miss kick which leads mm. to I think Danjuma was it Danjuma who misses the open yeah. net and maybe yeah. should have which passed is incre- which is
0: incredible like yeah. it didn't matter but um what a miss I mean what a miss. it was far out or you fair. just roll it I mean no of course but like um you know 0.60 xg um that was you you bury that and the whole stadium goes crazy and you go off and have a good Saturday night. But
1: in the zero point one nine in the XG and... officially, by the way. Looking at it now. Ninety mm. eighth minute. I uh, yeah? Yeah. Mm. Uh all right. So the handballs. Ancelotti said after the game, you either call them both or don't call either of them. I think that's a fair way of looking yeah. at it.
0: This has Different been a hot handballs, team. but yeah, it's, that's the way the handball rule is now, that like these like any one that hits the hand basically that isn't um, next to the body um, or supporting yourself on the ground, which Alaba's unlucky that he's um, so close to having the hand, you know, touch if it's touching the ground, basically uh, I don't think they give the Alaba penalty. The same way the Javi Sanchez one was given against the uh, Real wide lead for Real Madrid last week, it's If you're going to ground but not on the ground yet, um, that's a a penalty. So, um, like, it's kind of, for once, kind of nice that there was just two penalties within two minutes of each other. And it's like, okay, we're just back to where we were, one goal difference. Um, But these kind of penalties in other games would be decisive and they're just, um, you know, five, ten years ago, nobody is even claiming for these handballs. Like, these are just... um, You know, it's because VAR is
1: there and can be a microscope. So I brought up this point with Matt because this is something I'm thinking about all the time because this is, I I swear so many games in football every week have these weird handballs that the rule is different week to week. They're called sometimes, they're not called other times and no one really knows what's happening. Everyone's like, well, this was intentional. This wasn't, it doesn't matter if it's intentional. Look at this, look where the arm is placed. And I'm just like, I just don't, I feel like we need to fix the rules somehow.
0: Like,
1: I brought up this point with Matt. Like, the Javi Sanchez penalty, because we talked about it after the Vitaly game. Like, to me, like, it's just kind of weird that a Javi Sanchez handball where he doesn't really know what's going on, he's going up for a challenge, is the same punishment as when Luis Suarez intentionally fists the ball <laughs> away against Ghana in the World Cup. And I'm just like, I feel like the... The punishment sometimes doesn't fit the crime, I guess, in in terms yeah. of the FIFA rules. And I don't know how to restructure it, but I feel like we got to restructure the punishments. Maybe not everything is a penalty. Maybe a handball in the box always gets called, but it's an indirect free kick sometimes because the punishment mm. doesn't fit the crime. I don't know. It's just it's it needs fixing to me.
0: No, definitely. I mean, um, yeah, like this one had kind of nice symmetry to it that it didn't really affect the outcome of the game at all but how many weeks does it affect the outcome of the game these kind of penalties how many uh, games in the World Cup were decided with these kind of penalties it's you know it's a huge punishment for um, especially in this game where you've got Benzema and Jared Moreno taking the penalties like that's that's basically a goal and you know um, for two penalties that Yeah, like I say, I'll say it again, five, ten years ago, nobody's even checking for this. And it's funny, actually, the the one that Real Madrid uh, get, Vinicius is calling for a handball, but he's calling for a handball on the goal line. He thinks Foyf has stopped with his hand. uh, And he even points uh, when he's speaking to the referee or shouting at the referee. He points at the goal line, uh, claiming the handball there. Then they kind of stop. Then they check it and they see one beforehand that Vinicius has no idea because he's when you look, see the slow mo, Vinicius' head is turned a little bit when it kind of just brushes one of uh, Foy's fingers. So Vinicius doesn't even realize it's touched his hand there. It doesn't change the trajectory of the ball at all. They're both just still jostling for the ball, and that's a penalty. That like, uh, and I I said this um, I tweeted this during the game. If Vinicius doesn't tell the referee to stop and look at the goal line one, I don't think they find this one because nobody is looking. For like every dropping ball, if it touched someone's finger, and um, but because the game was stopped a little bit, um, uh, basically because Vinicius uh, demanded it, uh, they they stopped. It wasn't on the goal line, but they did see beforehand, uh, this one. And you know, five or ten years ago, no one's even claiming for this one. Just like, uh, even in this game, uh, Vinicius didn't actually claim for the the handball that was penalized. He was claiming for for one that he thought there was in the goal line that, that wasn't. So, yeah, yeah you're right. The rule needs to be changed. And, yeah, maybe maybe lesser punishments, maybe indirect few kicks or something is is the way to go. But, yeah, it's, it costs too many games. Unfortunately, this one, the penalties actually didn't really decide. it
1: Yeah, I thought that was fascinating because I didn't even see that handball. I mean, I don't think anyone did until the no. repl- when he went to look at the VAR monitor and I'm like, wait, this is not the penalty we're talking about. I was so confused. And then I realized that that there was another one in there. Um, that and and that's the one that ultimately got called. Um, <clears throat> is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't yet? I think the only thing to conclude
0: is we've got a rematch in a week and a half um, in the Copa Doré. So the draw was uh, early on Saturday morning. Uh, it's going to be the midweek of seventeenth, eighteenth, nineteenth. Um of January, uh probably going to be later in the week because on the 15th, Real Madrid could have the Super Copa final. Um, so pretty likely to be the, the Wednesday or Thursday, maybe even the Thursday, to give um all the supercopa teams a bit of rest. So um yeah, we've got a rematch. Um going to be a very different game. Both teams are gonna rotate a lot for sure. But VRL, Real Madrid is it kind of always delivers. Um last year's ones were 2 0 nil-nils but they were really good no-no's and um, another interesting one here. So let's hope the game in two weeks
1: is, is another fun one. Is that one, uh, that's not a one-legged one, is it? Yeah. That one is also one-legged?
0: Yeah. The whole of the Copa Dore is one-legged except for the semifinals. Oh, okay. It's like the English League Cup kind of format now. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, one, one game to, um, and if Real Madrid lose that one, you know, they're out. If, it, if it's a draw it goes to extra time and penalties and they decide it right there and then in in the brand new Stadio
1: de la let's just lose it. I don't care. Like it's inevitable that we don't win that tournament. So we'll just get it over with and just focus on the league.
0: They asked, uh, they asked Angelotti about this ahead of the first game, you know, Real Madrid record in the Copa de Re is so poor. They haven't won since 2014. Yeah. And he, he he said, so why are you, why are you complaining to me? I'm the one that won the one in 2014. Last time they, it's a good point, which, uh, which is a good Carlo quote, but, um, it's also, yeah, it's 2023 now, nine years ago. Uh, that Real Madrid last won a cup trophy, which is and it's not their most important competition. It's probably their, the one they prioritize the least, but they need to win a uh, another cup trophy soon.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a rare occurrence for for a team as big as Real Madrid. I think since ninety four, they've won two, which is a crazy stat in itself. Um, yeah. and and they often maybe there's
0: cur- maybe there's a curse after Ramos dropped it under the bus. Maybe there's like. You know these kind of like crazy football cur- uh, curses you hear like cats buried under stadiums and the team doesn't win a you know european, european cup for six decades all these kind of crazy curses you hear. maybe ramos dropping it under the bus was some sort of coppadori um curse that ramos Madrid don't win it for another who knows what
1: how do you reverse such a curse
0: mm, do you drop know. the next rever- trophy
1: under the bus to balance it out i think out? you
0: reverse you reverse the bus back over the trophy. I think. That's just
1: do it and rewind. <laughs> yeah, double down. Uh, all right. Um, I'm okay to wrap it here. Sounds if good. you are, um, and we can reconvene. I I think we're gonna publish something just so, for our listeners' sake, just so they know we're gonna publish something. I think is fitting because uh, Matt and I spent some time on the patron episode talking about some right back options. And I feel like it's just a fitting time to maybe release a small clip for free of that tomorrow. So I may do that tomorrow. Uh, but other than that, Lucas will be back on the podcast on Monday. So we're going to do a podcast then. And thanks for listening. I hope it brought you some kind of therapy. I don't know, but the season is long. So let's remember that Real Madrid's poor performances every year, often don't matter much in terms of what the trophy count shows at the end of the year so there's that if in case that provides you with any solace Lu- Ewan, thank you for your time my friend uh no problem appreciate it and uh yeah congratulations for being done at a reasonable hour thank you take care <laughs> thanks for listening and before we wrap it up here we wanted to give a quick shout out to our patrons over on patreon.com slash managing madrid and specifically to our $10 plus patrons, because if you pledge $10 or more per month, you not only get access to everything and not only get guaranteed responses to your questions, you also get a specific shout out at the podcast. So shout out to our $10 plus patrons as follows Brandon Alvarez, Willie Reed, Will Sousa, Way Pairing, Tobias Royal Potcher, Talab Salhab, Tahmid Kalam, Sushank Damala. Sujai Wani, Somanchu Singh, Sheikh Hatiri, Shamil, Sergio Arispe, Santos Solorzano, Samuel e. Justin, Samar Z, Said Mahad, Sai Mohan, Sasi Kumar, Rodrigo Balmaceda, Rishi D, Phoenix, Peter Powell, uh, Paulo Fierro, Patrick Odiafati, Oscar Barrera, Nico Laxo, Nicholas Moeller, Nick Rivero, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Matthew Atkins, Martin Ridman, Magnus Lext, Logan Stahl, Leon Savernakis, Kunal Tilakar, Crystal Glass, Kevin Rivera, Jose Cruz, John Fernandez, Jason Fitz, Ian Marley, Graham Gerard, Gary Cohut, Frederick Rantakiro, Frederick Sundrov, Faisal Hamdan, S.A. Davisito, Eloy Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Khan P, Christian Toff, Krishna Costa, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Ashik Bashar, Arnav Mukherjee, Armand Gashi, Armando L, Anirudh Singh, Ananya Kumar, Azaz Hussein, Adrian Rios, Adar Zalukovic, Adam Dorsey, Varun, Fabian Moreno, and Daniel Smith. We love you guys so much. Thank you so much for your support. Thanks for being a part of this family and hala marir.